Mindfulness Mode 290. We're at this epoch. We're at this point right now where we have to decide with our actions. If we don't, the danger is that mindfulness goes away, bullying goes up, and then we have this conversation again in another thousand years. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, hit subscribe so you won't miss any episodes. And thanks for leaving your comments on the website, mindfulnessmode.com. Please leave me a message after you hear today's show. You can send me a message directly as well at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. This is a message I just got a few days ago. My listener wrote, I wanted to reach out and let you know that I really have benefited from your show. Even though I am a highly successful software executive, I was at rock bottom last year and was searching for a path forward after losing my job. I did not have access to the kinds of tools and resources that your show highlights, and I don't even recall how I found your podcast site, but after listening to one session, I've listened to more than 100 already. Now I feel like I have a single resource, your show, that curates many interesting authors, speakers, and others. I listen to the show when making breakfast and driving daily. Also, your own calming voice and engaging interview style are amazing, and I really enjoy the standard framework that you use to interview guests. I think it helps to hear each of their definitions on what is mindfulness or do they meditate, etc. Thanks for all you do to make an impact on people's lives. Best, John. So thank you, John, for taking the time to share your message with me and with all of us today here on Mindfulness Mode. Today, if you have any interest in wellness at all, this is the show. This is the interview. You're going to want to listen to every word of today's episode. We talk about topics we've almost never touched on before. I won't give it away, but my friend Josh Trent is my guest and I can't say enough about his inspiring story and his deep knowledge of wellness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our wellness chat today. Hey, Mindful Tribe, this is going to be a great day because I have a terrific guest on the show with me, a good friend, and it's going to be awesome because we should have done this a long time ago, but here we are today with Josh Trent, and he's a wellness guy. So Josh, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in the depths of mindfulness mode. That is cool. Josh Trent is an expert in the field of wellness, and specifically in the area of physical and emotional intelligence. He's founder and host of Wellness Force Radio, where he's interviewed world-class experts in the fields of mindset, behavior change, nutrition, health, technology. Josh is also host of the Fitness Industry Technology Council's Fitness Plus Technology Podcast. Josh spotlights the the work of global fitness and wellness brands and how their contributions through new technologies are positively influencing the industry. So it's going to be great talking with you, Josh, about mindfulness and everything surrounding mindfulness and wellness. But what does mindfulness mean to you, Josh? 
the true definition in my deepest heart about mindfulness is that it's just this awareness and peace, the awareness and peace that we are all connected to a higher intelligence and that that higher intelligence can't always be defined. And I love how succinctly you put that. Absolutely can always be defined. So, you know, you've been involved in wellness for, I don't know how long. When did you get started with wellness? When did you know that was your niche? Oh man, uh, when did I know? I think I knew probably when I was six or seven years into coaching clients in fitness. But if we peel back the onion, Bruce, really the wellness journey started when I was a little kid. Uh, we're all born into this world with abundance and wellness. And I think what happens is as we go through life, it gets covered up by soot of tension and fear and things that happen that get in the way to kind of block that internal wellness. So my wellness journey really began when I was a little kid. And um, when I was a little kid, my mom actually had a manic bipolar disease. Oh. Uh, my dad left home, I think, when I was two or four months old. So at a very early age, I didn't really have that home base of safety and security and uh, just really having a place where I could feel at rest, at peace. So what's interesting is that I found a drug that a lot of people find, but no one really talks about this drug. And the drug was food. Oh. So if I didn't want to feel something, if I didn't want to feel an emotion, if I didn't want to deal with uh, really these things that I didn't know how to deal with, I was a little kid, right? I would just mm -hmm. go eat food. If I was sad, if I was depressed, I would just go eat like a carne asada burrito. So no surprise, you know, flash forward, I'm 21 years old. I'm 280 pounds. I'm at this party, Bruce, drinking beer out of a red party cup. And I, no, I'll never forget this. I slammed the cup down. I tried to lose weight for about a year. I just felt this feeling come through. And I, I believe it was higher intelligence. I believe it was some message from the thing that I don't understand. And it just washed over me. And I was like, there's more to life than this. I don't exactly know how I'm going to let go of this weight. I don't exactly know what I'm going to do, but I know I don't want this. And so I put down the party cup and I ran home drunk three miles. <laughs> really? I get to my house, I open up the desktop at this time. This is, you know, 2002. And I just, I think I typed in, how do I be healthy? How do I really truly be healthy? And it started this 18 month journey of low carb diets and, you know, uh, low fat diets and trying to figure out exactly what could I do from a physical and an emotional perspective to heal myself, to be well, to truly be well. And what I found was it had less to do with the diet and exercise. And it had a whole lot more of taking the emotional inventory of the things and the habits and the beliefs I had really absorbed when I was a kid coming from that stress response state. So that was the beginning of my wellness journey. I sold everything I owned and I moved to Hawaii. I'm working out at a fitness gym in Hawaii and the manager came out to me and he said, Hey, I've seen you exercising. You should think about being a trainer. And I was like, what's a trainer? I didn't know what personal training was. And yeah. I found this career that I did for the next 10 years. And it was just such a beautiful way to use the catalyzing power of fitness to open people up to a bigger world that I believe we're all really deeply longing for. And that is truly wellness. So my journey kind of started from not getting these physiological or psychological tools that I needed. And then as a young adult and adult, really learning how to pull those in, how to call those in. That's, that's my wellness journey, which by the way, it still continues. Right. I'm sure it does. Yeah. And so what kinds of foods do you eat now? I love eating foods that don't have a label. I know that <laughs> seems pretty simplistic, right? But if you eat food that has a label, your body is going to have a harder time to assimilate it, to take it in. 
Because the body, look, we, we are old software, Bruce. We have ancient brains. We have the amygdala. We have these certain, you know, protease, amylase, lipase, certain things that digest protein, carbs, and fat in our body. If we go against those, if we start giving our body these really foreign signals, it has to figure out how to adapt. Well, guess what? Human evolution is almost like the ticking of a clock. We are so far behind in our human evolution compared to the technology exponential growth and the food sources that have grown. There's more foods that are fake that are available now than ever before. And our body just honestly, from an evolutionary perspective, has not had the chance to catch up. And so I eat foods that truly don't have labels. And if they do have a label, at least I understand the ingredients. So you could label it and you could say paleo, you could say keto, you could say low carb, high carb, whatever it is. It's, it's really just about eating food that's real, mm -hmm. that hasn't been tampered with by the scientific mind of men and women who want to have a thousand acre field of monocropped corn uh, that's sprayed with glyphosate that gives us leaky gut syndrome and all these other things, Bruce. It's really just, can we just return to taking that deep breath and being mindful about the foods that we're eating? Do they come from a natural place or source? Because that's where we come from too. And whether you believe in the fact that we're all connected or not, when you look at how the body digests food and how we take in nutrients, there's a clear connection between us and the food coming from the same place. Right, right. Well, certainly you walk into a grocery store and you just see those processed foods everywhere. And it's so difficult to avoid them, really, for most people, at least, because I'm much the same. I eat very few processed foods and, you know, I, I concentrate on fruits and vegetables and, and what I consider are healthy foods. It's not always easy to tell, but I like cooking. So I like throwing together, you know, some beans and different kinds of things that, that I think are healthy and delicious, but I don't want to depend on the processed foods. But for someone out there who is maybe just listening to this for the first time, do you have any suggestions? How can they kind of ease their way into this? Yeah, I believe it's something that you probably touch on in each episode. And it's take the inventory of why you want to eat healthy in the first place. Knowing and doing are two separate things. I could give your audience a perfect PDF guide of everything they could eat for a beautiful month ahead. And it doesn't matter unless they have that burning desire inside to walk the bridge between knowing and doing. Unless they have that decided, unless you are very crystal clear on why it is you're doing whatever it is in regards to healthy eating, you're not going to actually execute it. And so if people are starting out, I'm actually gonna go 180. Take time, take the time to do a quick inventory with your mindfulness, with your breathing. And I like to do box breathing. This is a way that, uh, to your question, people can figure out how they start if they're so confused and overwhelmed about what foods should I be eating and mm -hmm. how do I actually do this healthy lifestyle? Do some box breathing. Box breathing is a five count. So it's literally drawing a box, a five second inhale, a five second hold, a five second exhale, and a five second pause. Seven rounds of box breathing, science has shown this changes our physiological state. It shifts us into that parasympathetic branch of our nervous system, which is the rest and digest branch. That's where you make great decisions. Your food decisions come when you're in a great state, especially the quality food decisions. How many people can relate to being at the grocery store at 9 p.m. and you're by the chip aisle or you're by the chocolate aisle and your decision fatigue is completely spent, you have no willpower, you're tired from the day, that's when you make the bad decisions. That's when you're less mindful, when you're completely bogged down. So my advice and my, my guidance would be two things. First, 
take a quick inventory after doing box breath and just write down on the page what this actually means to you to be healthy. Why do you want to make the healthy food choices? Who are you doing this for? Is it for you? Is it to be a better father? Is it to be a stronger and more powerful and emotionally present mother? Why are you actually doing this in the first place? So do that and then start looking up on the internet. You can go to the Wellness Force site or really there's so much information out there, Bruce. It's just eating real food. So typing in real food diets, typing in paleo diets, typing in whole food diets. And honestly, the only guideline here is eat foods without labels and stay away from inflammatory style foods if you have a history of inflammation. We can go down a rabbit hole here because there's a lot of biomarkers and testing that applies to probably, you know, 20% of the people. Right. 80% of the people out there, if they adjust, they're eating, they're moving, and they're sleeping to a quality amount. And we can talk about those differentiators. If they do that, 80% of people out there that are listening to this show are going to have incredible wellness. They're going to have just beautiful ways of connecting with other people. And they're going to be more mindful. But paradoxically, they have to be mindful first before they have a life of mindfulness. Yes. I would certainly agree with that, Josh. Let's talk about intermittent fasting. Are you into fasting? And what are your thoughts on this? This is fascinating to me because I think for some people that have the right hormonal strength, they can do uh, any type of intermittent fasting successfully. It's a feeding window. Basically, intermittent fasting is based on autophagy. Autophagy is where you have what's called cellular cleanup. Our cells, you know, our mitochondria in our cells, they are constantly spinning around. That's how we produce energy in life. That's what fuels our body, this little powerhouse of the cell. But what happens is, is over the course of time, as you have the nutrients coming in and leaving, they leave a residue. And that residue can make our cells less effective, less powerful. So when you do a partial fast or when you do an intermittent fasting like a feeding window, you will actually have autophagy, which is the cellular cleanup, and that will give you a more efficient metabolism. So for people that have a healthy metabolism already, intermittent fasting can be almost like putting high octane gasoline in a Lamborghini. But if you're driving around a VW bug and it's got a broken tire, do not do intermittent fasting. In other words, if you have metabolic dysregulation, if you're, if you're really dealing with you know, diabetes or a health condition, if you have something preexisting, intermittent fasting is not for you. I haven't seen this be really successful for myself here because I really like to have stable blood sugar. And I found, based on my own experience, that's all I can speak from. For me personally, even with the people that I would recommend it to, sometimes they would have success. I would feel so cranky. I would feel so upset. I, my blood sugar was out of whack. It just really bothered me more than the average person. So I think any kind of intermittent fasting program is almost like a sweater that you put on. It's going to itch some people. And some people, it's going to feel just right. So you get to go through that process on your own and figure out, hey, is my feeding window, the time that I'm actually eating food, to get this benefit of cellular cleanup for more energy, should it be 10 hours of a window of eating? Should it be eight? Should it be 12? Occasionally, I will skip breakfast just because I'll eat you know, more in the evening before. And that tends to be okay for me. So doing like a 12-hour session or even a 24-hour session for some people can work. It's really a risk versus reward though, Bruce. If you're a high profile executive or if you're a busy parent, having a 24 hour period without food, that may take away your ability to be mindful and to show up for the people and the responsibilities you have. So 
it's, it's a risk versus reward and everyone's got to figure that out on their own. Now, I hope that wasn't too general of an answer, but that's, that's really the truth. There's a lot of nuance. Well, I really appreciate your answer because it does fill me in. It fills our listeners in, I'm sure, too, with a lot of the missing pieces. Because, you know, four years ago when I went uh, uh, sugar-free, you know, got rid of processed sugar and processed food of almost every kind, that was the first thing I noticed is like, hey, there's no more roller coaster. Hey, I feel the same. I have this even feeling all the time, which I loved instead of this up and down and, you know, cranky. And then all of a sudden I, you know, I hated that, that roller coaster. So, so with intermittent fasting, you're going to expect to experience the roller coaster again, a little bit more. I think it just means that you will have something else you get to look at. So for me, um, part of my experience in this world is to speak my truth. So to your audience, so that we can really connect here, I'm speaking my truth. I am actually, a, you know, a health and wellness pro, but I'm actually still on that journey too. I'm figuring out what works best for me, just like clients I've worked with in the past, or just like right. people listen to the show. So for me, it's a cue. If I'm having those mood swings when I don't have food coming in, well, what else can I adjust about my life? Can I let go of some stress? Can I sleep more? Can I have more loving connection with people I care about? Everything is integral. All these wellness components tie together. So when you add in the intermittent fasting, if there's any other piece of your pillars that aren't strong, that strength of putting the demand on the nervous system of intermittent fasting is going to take away or it's going to actually highlight any of the cracks in your other wellness pillars. Well, I'm interested to talk with you about substances because there's so much talk these days about, you know, marijuana becoming legal and, you know, it's not really that bad and all this kind of thing. And I don't know why I have this thing that I want to be who I am without the, without a crutch. You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to depend on alcohol or get hooked on something that I, I feel like it's controlling me. I guess maybe that's my, maybe I'm a control freak. I don't know, Josh, but I don't want (laughs) something else to be controlling me. But there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, a little marijuana, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That can really help you. Or some people think, you know, a little hit of something will make me be more creative. What are your thoughts about substances like this? I mean, that is such a huge question, Bruce. We could do four podcasts on that. Um, I believe that when we look at a substance, a substance is what we're made of. So if we're doing anything in this world with a component behind it of intentionality of why we're doing it, and we monitor the fact that we're doing something so that we can get a result, which involves more love, more connection, more physicality, more breathing, more health. If we want the result and we use a tool or a substance or a supplement that's gonna allow us to get the result we want, I don't believe there's anything other than greatness behind that, but it's just really asking that question first. And this is kind of how I approach everything in life. Why are you doing it? How do you do it? Is it working? And I know that's very simplistic there, but it's, you can apply that to anything that we, that we do even our relationships. So marijuana, psilocybin, psychedelics, uh, supplementation, nootropics, there's all these different things that you can take from the outside and put in your body. But what's interesting is that you brought up this point where you just want to be you. You don't want to have anything that's, you know, you're taking in to change who you are. My question to you and anyone listening that has that mindset is if you're always going to be you and you have something that comes in, aren't you still you? 
Is it really changing you? Is it really taking you to a different world where you're not actually you? You're still you, no matter what's coming in. It's the intentionality behind it that matters most. If people are using marijuana, if people are using psilocybin, if people are using alcohol or any substance to check out from this reality because they're afraid of this reality, because they don't love this reality, because they're depressed in this reality, that's when I say those substances of any kind are not healthy. They're, they shouldn't be there. People should not be checking out of this reality because they're unhappy here. It's really around how do we use a substance or a supplement or a plant, specifically plant medicine, to take this environment we're in and really allow ourselves to see the beauty and the love and the empowerment that's possible here with using those substances as tools, mindfulness tools, not for fun, not for party drugs, not for checking out, but for just becoming this even more aware person and enjoying this experience even more. Well, it's interesting you say all that because just a couple of nights ago, my wife and I watched uh, a documentary about the band Chicago. And it was pretty fascinating because they talked about substances that they had used all along and that, you know, they like to, well, they didn't get into a lot of specifics, but they made it pretty clear that they were very comfortable with using many different substances. And yet they continued to produce. They still do 300 shows a year. And you know, they never really, like, they never fell apart. They never uh, did what happens to some people who get hooked on this lifestyle. They just kept moving forward for the most part. I mean, they had glitches. There's no doubt about that. But for the most part, they look, they moved forward, are still doing their thing and doing it strong. So, you know, I think in combination with mindfulness, you know who you are, you understand your fears, you you kind of keep growing and keep moving forward. Isn't that one of the big secrets? Uh, yeah, it's the ultimate secret. Yeah. It's the mindfulness component when plugged into anything we're doing that really allows it to thrive and grow. Yeah. You had mentioned one thing about the Chicago band. Yeah. They're happy without it. They're doing something they love. They're on purpose. Yes. They're on yes. point. They're on mission. They love their life. They're doing these substances or these tools these mind, really for them, it's a mindfulness tool. For a lot of bands, I think it's not. They just kind of want to party and like, who doesn't want to feel good? That's fine. Who doesn't, yeah. who doesn't want to eat pizza? Who doesn't want to take a nap? Who doesn't want to, you know, get high and go play and do all these crazy things? I would think most people want that. It's just that we have these responsibilities. We have people that we get to be responsible for, responsibilities of parenting and children and work and all these things. Yeah. Those, we can't just be this hedonistic, crazy person that's going around, not being mindful, doing all these drugs and substances. However, the caveat is from this Chicago band, they're doing something they love. If someone's listening to the show and you're working towards a path in your life where you're doing something you love, great. Maybe then you can put some intentionality behind it, doing something like an ayahuasca ceremony or a psilocybin ceremony to help you in the path you're going on, but not to check out. If you do any of these things to check out, there is the danger of, you know, that personality type where you become addictive taking over. That's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. Josh, you uh, mentioned that your, your father left the scene when you were very, very young. Have you ever had a father figure? I have had so many father figures uh, in my life and the, the healing work that I've done, the emotional experiential trainings I've done. And, and honestly, Bruce, since we're on this topic, I mean, uh, a few of the ayahuasca ceremonies I've done brought me so much closer 
to the understanding of what's truthful. And the understanding uh, for my truth is that everyone's brought into this world, my dad included, with the lessons they're meant to learn while they're here. And so my lessons that I'm learning are much different than his. So he might have not been the most perfect father. He might have been absent. He might have been dealing with all these things. But guess what? He did the best he could. Yeah. They always do. Your parents, anyone listening, they did the best they could. And they did that because that was the model they received from their parents. Our lineage and pain body, and Eckhart Tolle talks about this, goes back millennia. So we have everything that we're showing up for in this moment that's based on the ripple of learning that we've absorbed from parental units. And that's where we truly show up. And so when I look at father figures in my life, no, I did not have a healthy relationship with my father for probably 25, maybe even 30 years. But it took me to shed the layers, go through these trainings, go through screaming and crying and snot bubbles and just really understanding like, what am I so angry about? What am I so angry about? Oh, it's that I'm a 34 at the time, 33-year-old man at that time. And I'm still holding on to what that 7-year-old, that 10-year-old, that 13-year-old didn't get from his dad. Guess what? That time has passed. We have this moment now. So it really took an inventory for me to go, hey, uh, I want to meet with you, dad. It's been two years since we've talked. I just want to let you know I love you and the perfectly imperfect uh, situation that we've been you know, learning about each other through. Uh, I know you did the best you could. And I know that everything that you are putting out there into the world is the best you can in each moment. And so that was really the healing for me. That's the quote father figure for me. It was almost like I activated the father inside myself. And that's what really made the difference in connecting with the father that brought me into the world because he's a human being. He's just a man. Not everybody's born to be a perfect mother or to be a radically, you know, emotionally present father, mm -hmm. but they're giving us the contrast that we either receive for growth or that we get angry about and it takes us down a black hole of being sad. As human beings, we just need to give each other credit. We're out there, we're doing our best, we're on our journey, we're trying to make a go of it and look at anybody and that's their story and that's what you're telling us. So Mindful Tribe, really grab onto this. really Because you know we hear this in different forms, in different places, but to just really grab onto it and truly take it on and believe it is so crucial. We're all on a journey. We're all doing our best, even though it doesn't look like it. We're all doing our best. So I really appreciate you saying that. And for Mindful Tribe, I wonder if you would just share and tell Mindful Tribe, what is an ayahuasca ceremony? So that everybody kind of <laughs> knows a little more about this. Sure. And I want to preface this by uh, just because it's been something positive for me does not mean it's for everyone. So this is not some kind of golden ticket that's going to remove you from this current reality and show you the light, although it might. But I want to tell you that this is a tool that's been used for thousands of years. Uh, the Peruvian Amazon and the shamans that have been there and the way that they use this bark from the ayahuasca tree, they make a tea from it. That tea is then boiled down. And then you drink the beverage in a facilitated safe ceremony. Keyword safe. This is not a party drug. This is not something you do for fun. This is something that unlocks DMT, uh, which is a chemical that we have when we're born. It also releases in our body when we die. It's also something that's found in almost everything here on the planet. 
uh, plants, animals, things like that. So this DMT chemical is what gives us the access to the different states of consciousness. And that's what allows us to open up to that uh, question of what's possible. What's possible in my life if I truly take an inventory? What's possible? How many more people could I love in my life if I'm opened up to that specific awareness that, hey, all my anger and all my resentment and all my sadness it's really just me holding on to things that don't serve me anymore. And so that's what it gave me. The ayahuasca ceremony is something that's typically eight hours, 10 hours. Uh, you drink the tea, you're in that safe space, keyword safe. Uh, you approach it with the right intentionality. There's also a diet that goes into it where you're not eating any meats. You're not having caffeine. You're abstaining from uh, masturbation and sex. You really just want to kind of clean yourself both physically and emotionally before you step into this ceremony. And it's typically one night. Some people do it for two. But if you're interested in this, there's an organization that's based in science and in logical reasoning around this. And it's called the MAPS organization, uh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Sciences. And with MAPS, they're showing that veterans with PTSD, people that have deal with, dealt with lifelong depression, are getting healed in a matter of weeks or months through both psilocybin and psychedelics like ayahuasca. But again, this is not something you do for fun. This is something that you do when you're on the quest to find your own truth, to let go of all the crap that's been weighing you back and holding you down from this uh, beautiful life that we live in. Josh, thanks so much for sharing this and, and sharing it in such a clear, easy to understand way, because not everybody can do that. I really appreciate it. Josh, I want to talk about bullying, because that's a topic I always touch on. And I really believe that mindfulness is something that can help people through this, whether you find yourself bullying other people or you've been bullied by other people. Were you ever bullied? Do you have a story you could share where mindfulness would have made a difference or maybe it did make a difference? This topic is timeless because I'm 37 now. I can close my eyes in this moment with you and go right back to when I was seven years old. I was using food then, right, to check out because I didn't have the emotional tool sets yet. And I can specifically remember uh, playing soccer on the field when I was like seven. I, I believe I was seven. And uh, everyone was calling me fat. Look at this. Look at you, fat ass. Look at you, fat kid. Like fat, 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 that word fat. I think that just hit me. And it became this sore that I wore on the outside of my body, right? In the book, The Untethered Soul, he talks about all the thorns that we have on our body. And that was, became a massive thorn for me. So when anyone would point to the way that I looked or when I would look at myself in the mirror all throughout my adolescence, there would be this kind of pain body around it. And I look back on that time and I thought, what could have been different then? What could have been different in my ability to be mindful? Well, it would have been having an open dialogue with my parent, feeling the safety, the security, the space, the capacity for me to have that conversation with my mother or father at that time. Now that wasn't there because their emotional intelligence wasn't there either. But we've already talked about this because they did the best they could. So I look back at that seven-year-old and I want to put my arm around him. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I want to tell him, hey man, you are so great the way you are. There's nothing wrong with you. All this means is that you're carrying around extra energy because that stuff on your stomach, it's just energy. So do you want to get excited? Do you want to go do something fun? Let's go burn off some of that energy, right? But I didn't have that then. So I can heal that pain body now by being the 37-year-old that looks back and has the conversation with that seven-year-old and says, I love you. You're doing great. Let's burn off that extra energy you have because really depression and sadness is just the opposite of expression and putting your voice out there. And that's what most people need. 
bullying is a byproduct of depression, anger, and sadness. You think a bully's happy? When bullies pick on other kids, it's because their home life is crap. They're married uh, to somebody they hate. They're in a relationship they don't like. Maybe, you know, most bullies are in their teens, but there can be adult bullies too. Bullying is just a representation of anger and sadness that is leaking out of someone's soul. And that is the bottom line for anybody that bullies anybody. It's a lack of consciousness. It's a lack of mindfulness. And so the narrative around bullying must change and it must change now because we're, we're stepping into, in 2018, one of the most, I think, growth, growth producing years that with the potential of, of us growing as a collective, but also one of the most dangerous as technology rises, as people that are in power right now, especially the leader of our country, do not promote a lifestyle of mindfulness and deep connection and love for other people. We're at this epoch. We're at this point right now where we have to decide with our actions. If we don't, the danger is that mindfulness goes away, bullying goes up, and then we have this conversation again in another thousand years. And I don't want that to happen. No, no, and it doesn't need to happen. We are in control. We can be in control. We can, we can do these things which are not so difficult. We can learn them. We can implement them and move forward. Josh, as we move forward here in our interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Just 30-second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? <sighs> My grandfather was a one of the first Italian Americans in the Marine Corps to be a Brigadier General. And he stopped me in the hallway once when I was 13 years old. And he said, do you believe in God? And I said, no, why not? Well, because you know, the church has just got all this control and everything. He said, Josh, do you realize that the human mind always thinks there's a beginning, middle and end? But if you look at higher intelligence or God, there's no such thing as a beginning, middle or end. And for me, that was a huge mindfulness moment of, whoa, grandpa's onto something. Incredible. Incredible. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Josh? It's allowed me to actually feel them. I think we have a sickness in our country where the, the lack of mindfulness leads to uh, the lack of connection, which leads to more disconnection, and disconnection is what fuels addiction. So the opposite of addiction is connection. Mindfulness to me is really connection in that way. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice, Josh. Well, you know, for the people that are watching, I have this uh, on my arm here. It's say, posso respirare, posso scegliere. And in Italian, that means if I can breathe, I can choose. Because I learned this really in the past couple of years, especially going through like business stress and relationship stress. If we can all just remember to breathe in a moment and exhale, do it right now if you're listening. You can then make the choice you really want to make. And you won't be reacting. You'll be responding after the deep breath. You're absolutely right. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? For men especially, uh, women as well, but men especially, David Dita, The Way of the Superior Man. One of the pillars of my men's work that I do in my men's groups and my life just been such a reminder of what's real in this world, which is really this polarity between men and women. And, and as men, how do we show up as men in this world? What do we take ownership for? How do we own what it is to be a true masculine energy in the world? And that's becoming more and more muddy, it seems. So it it's, really is, especially yeah. with the hashtag Me Too, and men are yeah. worried, like, am I going to offend a woman if I approach her? Yeah. It's like, we're in this interesting time, Bruce. We are. We truly are. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? You know, I, 
have it right here on the desk, actually. It's the Muse headband. So this is a headband that's connected to an app on the phone. Um, you wear it right in your temporal lobe. And for people that are just starting out, the best thing you can do is drop into uh, the alpha brainwaves. The alpha two is the holy grail of flow state. You can see over the course of time, do I need to do a transcendental meditation? Do I need to do a breathing meditation? Should I do a mindfulness meditation? There's many different types of meditation. But with the muse, as you practice the certain style of meditation, the muse will give you feedback with birds and with sound to let you know if you're on the right track. It'll also give you a readout of your EEG afterwards. It's the same medical grade as the one uh, that's in doctor's offices. So I like the Muse. Um, it's a great tool. I love the Muse too, Josh. I use it every day. It's, cool. it's amazing. It's very cool. So, uh, you know, it's also been very cool being on this uh, interview with you, getting a chance to hang out. And wow, it's been great. How can Mindful Tribe reach out to you and learn more about what you have to offer in the world, Josh? Um, thanks for offering that space because if I said something that's upset you, please reach out to me on social. If I've said something you loved or just connected with you in any way, if I've sparked your curiosity here, reach out to me. It's josh at wellnessforce.com or just type in wellness force online and it's wellness force everywhere where we love having these mindfulness conversations. We sure do. Yeah, it's great. You know, Josh, you you took a situation where you were using food as your drug and you were so overweight and you ended up with a sculpted body. I mean, like when I think of wellness, I think of Josh Trent, you know, because you just have taken this whole thing and you seem to make it look easy. You seem to make it look like, yeah, you just do this. You just, you know, you just exercise and you just eat. And yet it's not, doesn't seem like work. It doesn't seem like, you know, something that you have to add on to other things in your life. You just make it your life. And I think that's one of the things that is a big secret in this, you know, make it your life, make mindfulness your life like you have and wellness. So yeah, definitely check out Wellness Force Radio. You'll be so glad you did. And Josh, thanks for being on the show today, man. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation about topics that are most timely and most needed right now. So thanks for having me on, Bruce. For sure. All the best. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.